Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here an episode about when good employees do bad things with your money. So I am not talking about your CPA or comptroller that's embezzling funds at the end of the year, although we are getting into tax season, and although the results can actually end up being similar. So, you know, considering that marketing is usually one of the top two expenses for a growing business of any kind, definitely a law firm, Getting this stuff messed up can result in you losing a huge portion of your revenue. You know, if you're on an aggressive growth path, that could be sometimes 30% of your revenue, right? And it's an issue that we've been running into for a long time, just working with clients. And it's something that I used to see a little bit more on the small firm side of things. Like typically this is in the like, you know, attorney plus assistant or part-time person, but I've actually recently saw it once or twice in very large firms. Um, you know, I saw it in a seven-figure firm not too long ago, which actually really, really surprised me. So it's a topic that I want to revisit a little times and I've kind of clarified my thinking around this. And we've gotten these three different ways that employees can light your budget on fire. But first, I kind of want to get into why this happens in the first place. And that always boils down to incentives. So you have to kind of consider that you have a different situation for making something want to work than your law firms. And when we're talking about investing into marketing, you have a lot more upside if things end up working out, right? So, you know, again, there's downside if it doesn't work out, but it's heads you lose, tails you win. If the marketing campaign ends up working out, you're going to bring in more money. That's going to allow you to hire more people. You're going to be in a bigger firm this time next year, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a lot of upside as an owner, assuming you are an owner listening to this podcast. Unfortunately, as an employee, generally speaking, the way that most roles are set up for the type of people that answer phones or are responsible for following up with people at law firms, there's no upside. There's just more downside, right? So if you're going to be investing into a marketing initiative, chances are you're not going to be hiring somebody from scratch to handle whatever is coming in. So you're probably going to be giving this responsibility to somebody who already has responsibilities. So on day one, this is a pain in the ass. You're giving them more work to do in addition to what they're already doing. So that's the best thing that can happen. You're getting more work for the life of this campaign. Unfortunately, if you're successful with the campaign, a lot of the times you're getting more indirect work. So kind of thinking about things at the smaller level, if you've got an assistant who's responsible for following up with somebody, and then they're going to take the intake and move it into your practice management system, that's more work every single time you win. And then you know, you're going to have to stock the fridge and welcome these people. And then God forbid, if the attorney ends up closing them, you're going to have to open up a file. And it's just, you know, it cascades from there. So you're getting more work on day one, you're getting more indirect work if you're successful. And generally, the upside is nothing, especially if you have the situation where somebody's getting paid on a salary, the less that you do just to be completely cynical about this, the more you're kind of making per hour. And like, unless we have something in place that aligns incentives, which we're going to talk about towards the end of this podcast, but in general, there's really, really no upside. And we can have the situation where this will show up for literally any marketing, right? And again, going back to that cynical view, 
If you got somebody who's under capacity, they're manning the phone for the busy time, but they're on Instagram in between and their screen time's getting up to three hours a day. Literally anything that's going to bring that down to two hours a day or one hour a day is, is a loss for them if we're thinking about it in kind of a rational term. And that's generally likely to bring resentment, right? Now, it counts for double if you're increasing the difficulty qualitatively of what's bringing in these marketing, right? So let's say you're a referral-based practice, but you just threw an event. What's easier to follow up with? The referral that's coming your way or the event people that you have to follow up with? So we're increasing the difficulty. If you're going from referral to going to inbound calls that don't necessarily know you, that's more difficult. And then, you know, if you're going from inbound calls to maybe doing something that's an inbound form fill, uh, again, again, more difficult, right? The list goes on. But the worst part is the further out you go from a referral, the more sensitive those leads are to following up correctly and following up right away. And personally, I think this is a huge reason that people end up getting stuck on referrals as the only channel that works for their law firm. And they end up getting their asses kicked every single time they try to invest in marketing. But a lot of this ends up getting characterized as lead quality, which ultimately keeps them in the dark and keeps them continuing to fail when they try marketing a different way. So I end up calling this misinterpretation, which is going to be the second reason I'll get into in a little bit. But let's start with number one. So number one is misrepresentation. Now, this is generally not something that good employees do. So I would define this as a situation where they are aware of information and then they are filtering that information when they're reporting back to you to support an outcome that's better than so you know, when we're asking questions, like, did you call them? You know, when did you call them? Did you call them back right away? Did you follow up with so and so? Did you use a new script? In a lot of situations, if you don't have a way to tell otherwise, it's kind of a he said, she said situation, which sucks. So if somebody, you know, this is again, the cynical view. And again, this isn't something that that good employees will do. But if someone's really made up to like, you know, <laughs> screw the attorney for, for putting this on my desk, I don't want to do this anyways, I'm not going to stay late to do this. I've got enough stuff on my plate. I'm just going to let these things die on the vine. And who really cares? Whatever, like, you know, and if you don't have a situation to counter that, as in a third party way to verify it, you're kind of vulnerable to your employees showing up as their best selves every single day, right? Um, and I'm not saying that you should, you know, build systems to keep bad employees in your business. But at the same time, it's like you, you know, you, you're at the mercy of somebody being a good person for that to avoid that, right? Again, and like I said, the, the title of this podcast is how good employees light your budget on fire. So we'll get into the next one, which is the more likely thing for good employees, which is misinterpretation, right? So if we can kind of consider the filter of reality from in between you and the employee to we're moving this filter inward towards their mind, right? So they are communicating honestly what they see, but their mind is filtering information that supports an outcome that is better for them. So I'll start with a story too, because this is actually one that ended up happening pretty recently with a you know, large firm, which was really, really surprising. So new campaign got started, stuff was off to the races. And I was asking, hey, how did everything go with the follow up? I'm really, really curious to see how many consults you guys booked. And uh, the attorney ended up saying, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, these were pretty much like all of these were junk numbers. So we really weren't able to set any consultations. We just sent emails instead. So I ended up having to address that in the moment because super, super unlikely, right? And basically, if we want to talk objective truth, and I have a version of this that I have in the book, because this is, again, something that happens typically at smaller firms, we have to talk about how you can confirm that you have a bad number. And the only objective way to tell whether a number is bad is if you call somebody, they pick up and they say, no, this isn't John Doe, this is Susie Q, this is a wrong number, right? 
And we've run 250 campaigns plus at this point for this exact type of funnel. And I've literally never found a situation where you can find 10 consecutive conversations with a real person and more than two of them say that. Again, and that's extremely rare. We keep track of this stuff in our call center. The actual rare, wrong numbers that will come from the well-tailored marketing is going to be very, very, very low. Now, what I do see happening all the time and what I suspect happened in this situation is somebody ended up getting one bad number and then they waited a week to call the remaining nine numbers that were on their list or they prioritized something else that was on their plate. And then when it got time to follow up with these people a week later, very few of them picked up, maybe none of them picked up and maybe the ones that picked up didn't remember the marketing because it happened a week ago. So if you guys can kind of see what's happening here, we have a self-fulfilling prophecy. They wanted to interpret data in a way that the campaign was not working out. And they actually created a situation that prevented the campaign from working out. So it sounds kind of crazy, but this happens all the time, right? And again, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably an attorney. And if you're an attorney, you probably consider yourself a pretty rational person. But Ironically, the people that are the most rational are the most vulnerable to this. There's a huge concept in social psychology to describe this. It's called naive realism. And without going into detail, because I have done podcasts on this, just, you know, the reality, the neurological reality of, of what being a human being in this world is, is that you're exposed to about 11 million bits of data per second. And at any given time, you can only take 40 to 50 total bits in. So we are literally always filtering and we are generally filtering according to our bias. There are not people that exist without biases. There's only people that are aware of them and can contract them, right? So basically, like I said, you know, if somebody knows that a campaign succeeding would be bad for them or they resent it or they're looking for bad problems, they're going to take a gray set of feedback and they're going to interpret the downside, right? It doesn't have to be the first call that somebody picks up that gets a wrong number. They can have four conversations that go well and the fifth one ends up being a wrong number and then you don't call the remaining five. I see this stuff happens all the time. But in order to get somebody to see the upside, we need to incentivize them to see the upside, which we'll get to in a bit. And the last part, and this one's kind of crazy and more like a recent one too, is just basically when we're going to move the filter out from between the outside of the employee's mind, outside of the, the, the gap to the employee, and then all the way to you. So now the filter exists between you and them. And there's a lot of different reasons that this can happen, but basically we're telling people not to get our hopes up. And this can happen for a lot of different reasons. You know, you've gotten burned in the past. You're trying not to, you know, get too excited about something or, and it was, again, sometimes this is definitely the beyond the scope of this individual podcast. You have a fear of success yourself. You're afraid about what the responsibility will be if you have another 10 clients next week. Am I going to have to hire people? Am I going to have to work out late? You know, there's a lot of different things that could potentially happen. So, you know, basically you start the campaign, you tell the employee, yeah, you know, I don't have super high hopes for this, but let's see how this works out or, you know, don't expect much of this. You're basically spinning the filter to the employee from the beginning. So you're telling them, don't pay attention to the good information. You're telling them, if this is bad, it's not your fault. You're telling, you're essentially giving them permission not to try. So that's kind of the last one and probably easiest one to fix. But, you know, I'm just kind of surprised. It's like, I don't know how people invest money and energy into like a new initiative without committing to it emotionally, but it happens all the time. The ego is a crazy thing, right? And ultimately, like I understand the downside, because if you're having a situation where, you know, you're investing in something that doesn't work out, you might look dumb. But the other downside that you have is that if you want to protect yourself from looking dumb is that you might cut the legs out of something that you just invested a bunch of time and money into. 
And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're basically spending money to stay exactly where you are, which I don't think is a good outcome. Like I would rather risk going dumb. And, and, you know, frankly, the people that have had the most success that we've worked with have absolutely no qualms about hidden strikes because they hit home runs all the time. But basically, you're kind of in a pick your poison thing, right? Like, you know, you can you can be the Mr. Cool guy who makes the right decision every single time, or you can be the person who actually succeeds with things on, when it gets down into it. So that's kind of the first fix. On the next category, which I've kind of referred to as a bit is aligning incentives, right? So this actually will fix the first two things. Misinterpretation, it's more likely to see the upside of something when you have an investment in it working out. And you're also going to get those bad employees that might be misrepresenting stuff to not have a reason to tell you that they called the person because, you know, they're going to get upside from those things too. So it addresses both types of things. But basically, it's not really crazy. You basically just need a way to get the person who's responsible for following up with the marketing, the same kind of upside that you get, right? And you can do this a million different ways. You can have, they get a bonus when you close. You can have the situation where they get a bonus when you book an appointment. It's literally completely up to you. And just, you know, before we get into crazy into the things, this is not fee splitting. You are more than able to assign a bonus for an employee based on a close. That doesn't make it fee splitting at all. And again, we've looked at this over the years, it's come up, right? But basically, you know, the more upside you can provide them, the more motivation they're going to have to get these things done and see the upside and make these things work out. So this is kind of a crazy thing that I'm not, not sure a lot of attorneys are, are, are aware of, right? Because, you know, for the most part, industry is still focused on it, attorneys being the ones that are closing. And generally, like, you're not going to bring in a closer that's like a proper salesperson, right? But they're in literally entire industries that work on commission only with no base pay. And the standard for this is generally about 10%. And again, there are people that are pulling down two, three, five hundred thousand dollars salaries per year as commission only closers for stuff that's you know considered high ticket or you know big complex sales like software and services and stuff. But which sounds like a lot to pay an employee that. But when you realize if you're paying them 10%, you will by definition be making 10 times more. So if you have the situation, you know, go, <laughs> I'm just pulling this out. I'm not saying you guys should get um, commission based closers because you, know, you got to do a lot to make that work. But if you got a commission based closer, that's you're paying a hundred thousand dollars a year. That person brought you in a million dollars, right? Yeah, not super standard for legal, but just this is the way that a lot of the other business world works. But now I'm not saying you should slice off 10% for somebody who's getting paid to have a lead on their plate and setting an appointment for you. But could you slice off 2%? Like, you know, if you have the situation, hypothetically, if you have, you know, you're closing something and it's flat fee or, you know, it's a minimum retainer, it's $5,000. Like, what difference do you think $100 would make to the person who's currently responsible for taking those calls or placing those calls out? And what do you think that would do when it comes to having them finding solutions instead of problems, when they're picking up the phone, all those tiny little things that are very, very gray, and they have complete freedom of how they want to interpret them, right? I'll just throw out like a small data point to this. Again, just like this is kind of speaking to what this will do in terms of people's work output. We ended up rolling in a bonus to our call center a couple of years ago. And I let our teams set their own policy within leadership and they make decisions as a team, but they decided to stop taking federal holidays off, <laughs> which is never something I would have asked them to do. But because they are so motivated to get more commissions on their paycheck, they are calling on these bank holidays and federal holidays, right? So it's you know, that was their idea, right? And then the other thing, too, is just like our retention in our call center is is in years, honestly. And the most companies that are running similar call centers have, you know, longevity like under three months. Right. So, again, it sounds really, really simple, but this is what can happen when you make people win when you win. It is 
everything that you need to do to get them to start interpreting the data and start looking for solutions instead of problems. It's a super, super powerful way. And the last thing that you can do is make it impossible to misrepresent data. So, you know, there's that old Russian saying, trust but verify. But basically, there are technical ways to do this. It takes a little bit of setup, but it is something that you can do once that will prevent your staff from misrepresenting things. It has tons of other upside, by the way, in actually getting numbers that you can work with in scaling up any marketing initiative. But that is beyond the scope of this. We're going to get into that in the next episodes. So until then, have an awesome week. Don't fool yourself or your team. And I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.